Join me. <laughs> no. Doesn't he do like a woohoo? Like yeah. He does well, a whistle or something like that. I know, but I was hoping to distract you. But I mean, the character me. at that moment is like snorting coke and all kinds of stuff. So that's why he's doing that. Exactly. We don't have any of that today. <laughs> no, not on this show. Not in this lifetime. See, it's over now, Safe. It's wow. done. Now we can start the show. Welcome. Welcome to the construction life. Thanks for having me, Manny. Oh, this is going to be good. I'm going to, I'm actually, uh, I'm impressed with what you built and what yeah. you got started and uh, how it's going. I want to know a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. And obviously, as we were coming down the hallway, you, you brought up the magic four letter word for me, which is uh, not a positive for me, HDTV. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we can dabble a little bit into that world. <laughs> I wish you the best. That's about it. Um, but so let me give out the detail. Um, so it's safe, right? That's how you pronounce your name? Yeah, it's safe. And it's new for Inc. Uh, the company is New4 Inc. and the website is new4.com. Uh, you want me to give up the number? Of course, right? Sure. 289-201-7888. And then you can reach him at safe at new4.com. And that's spelled S-E-I-F. And then you can get them all over social media. Uh, IG, Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn, YouTube, under all the banners of New4. And 4 is spelled F-O-R-E. And it's Inc. You'll find them all. That's it. I want to shout out quickly, Builders and Brews, the boys out west. I'm wearing their tea on today's show. Thank you so much. Again, one of my favorite teas. It fits me right. I, I, I don't want to say anything negative about certain guys that do construction teas and hand them out for swag. I don't know why they choose a really bad quality tea or bad fitting tea. Your tea looks good. This tea is a nice tea. There's a certain handful of teas that are really good and they fit properly. I don't think you need to give all trades people xxxxxxl and just put on the blanket and then go to work right (laughs) no no get a proper tea man and get them for different sizes because we all come in different sizes right that's true so that's it all right that's all my shout outs and getting everything going how do you want to begin this where you want to begin this you said off mic when we get started that 2016 you started the business right yeah i started in 2016 what was the the nucleus of the idea like why did you think and i want to let everybody know that we're talking about you're converting garages into dwellings Correct. Something yeah, a little different, the, right? Correct. That's yeah. one of the many things we do. That's one little slice. Um, when I first started it in 2016, we was just sort of doing uh, general rentals. Um, I think anybody, when you first start a company, you're really ambitious. My goal was being the new way forward in construction and renovations. So um, uh, we started and, and I said, you know what? Houses should be built modular. It should be built efficient. I agree. I was maybe a little bit naive and then, then found a yeah. lot of roadblocks along the way. <laughs> yeah, not a lot. Of, but now what? So Conversation then, now is everybody's talking that. Correct. Yeah. 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 There's still a practicality concept of it because on uh, depending on the setting, unless you're building high density, it's not really cheaper. Like if you're building a single family home, modular versus stick build, no. it's not that much in savings. If anything, it's faster. Would I say faster? It, it could be faster, but um, the, the, the typical and the norms here, anytime you're diverting from um, typical OBC assemblies and things like that, it better be well worth it. Like yeah. look at Elon Musk with, with Tesla. He says it's got to be 10 times better than what's in the market in order for people to accept it. So it can't just be a little bit better. Well, it's funny. He also lives in, I think he's got a dwelling from Boxable, which is a modular system, Amazing. right? So it's just like that kind of makes sense that things are going that way, right? Yeah. And then recently, I think the OBC just changed things. Now we can actually build without a permit up to 160 square feet. So your sheds now could be larger. So you're basically, you can create a bunkie in the backyard 
uh, no permit up to 160 square feet, which basically was at 108. Now it's 160, which is good. That's nice. I That's think it should move even bigger. Yeah. Wow. It should be, in my opinion. Yeah. So you, 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 okay, so where did you get your <clears throat> construction? Where did you get started in things in construction? So believe it or not, I'm an engineer by background. Okay, cool. So um, I'm an engineer. I studied engineering, went, worked as an engineer. Um, and then there was a bit too much office component to it. And I loved construction, so I got into construction, and then uh, I've I've been doing it since. So since 2016, I've basically been in construction. Why was there so much office and not enough on site? It depends where you work. Um, Were you doing resi or commercial, industrial? What kind of more like industrial sort of mega projects? And then I started working on um, public works, uh, rail, transit, metro links. So a lot of those projects are so so big. You you know you, you. you have 10 times the amount of people talking about it and then 10% of the people actually working because there's so much planning involved and uh, so many specs and so many guidelines and things Delays, you have to abide by. Exactly. Changes yeah. of government. There you go. Approvals and wherever you're going. You know how it is. Uh, I don't, I, I've spoken to so many people that have gone down that road and it's just extremely frustrating and also actually extremely amazing that anything does get done. But then again, Eglinton Crosstown is still going on. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the big dig in Boston was finished sooner than what's been going on with the Eglinton. That's true. So believe it or not, I actually worked for the company that did the Boston big dig. Really? Bechtel. I remember back in the day when they were working on that. And I said, this is incredibly smart. The way they're factoring in all modes of transportation, not just one. Yeah. And, and obviously the budget just skyrocketed. I don't know what it was like. It wasn't even quadrupled. I think it was like 10 times by the end of it. But, and it, they're they're actually doing studies now where it didn't really increase that much movement regarding all this work so it's just okay so who made a mistake or whatever but that's interesting that you worked on it uh i didn't work on the boston big dig you worked, I the worked for the company that got did it. the boston big dig yeah okay. so i used to work for them i actually got a job with them uh before i graduated so uh, i was working for them as an intern and then uh, after I graduated then they hired me again and i was working up north in the mines uh doing mining and metals I got a question for you before we get like back on track here. When you get companies like that that you're working for and they work on different cities in different countries, do they have a mindset of understanding where the work is being done? Or are they just in such blinders in the office that this is what we're building? It doesn't, they don't factor in the logistics of that kind of catered city. You know what I mean saying? Yeah. Yeah. So honestly, this is one of the best companies I've ever worked for. And they are so experienced and they are so good at managing process that they understand where the job is being built. There are certain allowances. um, There's certain uh, what they call uplift. So, for example, if you're a tradesperson and you're making uh, 40 bucks an hour, 50 bucks an hour, obviously you have your OT and all that other stuff with the longer hours. And then you decide to go up north. You have certain uplifts so you might have a 20 percent uplift 30 percent uplift because that job is in the middle of nowhere so they have premiums like that and then on top of that they're paying obviously for your accommodation and they're paying for all your food and they're paying for flights back and forth so, so you'd be working everything in. everything so you'd be working in the mine like two weeks for example they fly you back home and if it's a really tough site let's say it's north north like we're talking negative 50 and, and it's just brutal condition no stores nothing they'll do a nice rotation they'll do what's called a two and two rotation so two weeks up north and then two weeks back here so they fly you back and those two weeks you're paid but 40 hours 
Wow. It's crazy. So they put it down to a system. And what they do is they hire all the trades as locally and unionized as they can. And then all the people with all these premiums are more like the white collar where they're sending from all over the, like almost all over the world. I, mining and metals, I used to work with a lot of people from Australia and New Zealand. I like that that's happening. I really like that companies like that are paying attention to what's going on in other parts of the world because obviously Canada is not leading necessarily in construction. Other countries are. So why not learn the lessons from these other countries and bring them home here? Yeah. I wish the government would do that. But that's a whole other podcast, right? Yeah, I could spend hours on that. <laughs> that's a different story. <laughs> so, you, okay, so you came from engineering, then you got the idea for construction. How long were you in the engineering side of things? Um, I was about four years. Okay. And then you were, you were saying, I want to get more, I want to get hands on. I want to yes, be on the site. Exactly. So you wanted to be one of us and get on construction sites and deal exactly. with the elements and deal with changes and deal with all kinds of client requests and all kinds of stuff like that. Did you know what you were getting into from the office to that? A little bit, but it's a different sector. Yeah. So when I got into it, um, again, I, I was working massive, massive projects, right? So you're talking uh, craning in yeah. massive amounts of steel, heavy steel, and, and, and those sort of like mid-rise uh, buildings and all industrial buildings. Yeah. So I would see what the tradespeople were doing, but I knew for a fact I wasn't going to do that. You don't just get into that on day one. No. So there was a transition in the sense that there was the engineering to construction transition. And there was also uh, the uh, different industry because I'm getting into residential. So it's really different. So I started working uh, in the field uh, on these type of projects and also on the public projects. Okay. And then I said, okay, well, what's a way for me to get into the trade? So I started, um, uh, I, I had saved a lot from when I was up north, working up north. So I came here and then real estate was cheap in Hamilton. So I then. bought a place. Yes, exactly. Then it was cheap. Yeah. So I started, I bought a place that needed some work and I started working on it and then started posting a bit of pictures and got another place, started working on it. How was it working with the city at that time? Was it okay? I wasn't doing it permitted, but it was all cosmetic. Got it. But okay, I was just I getting, it. you're talking like I'm just getting into it. Yeah. Right. So, so you're just getting your feet wet. Yes, exactly. Okay. And then I started posting photos of it and then I bought another place. I did the same thing, but a bit more extensive of a renovation. And uh, then I was like tearing down a little bit of walls. So I got a bit more understanding of residential and what kind of assemblies and insulation and fire separation and all that kind of stuff. Creating then, dwellings, you're, you're creating t like uh, tenanted dwellings, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So call it splitting a home into two. Got it. But okay. without fully gutting it, like not that serious. Like I'm not doing it all from scratch the way we do right now. So back in 2016, did you start to notice, I guess, right before the pandemic or even during the pandemic that a lot more people were showing up in your hood? and doing similar things in 2016 or in 2020 i guess in 20 like it crept up from 2016 17 18 yes. 19 you started seeing more people come to hamilton because yes that's when it started to grow a lot absolutely so i was in uh, i went to school in hamilton okay so I, I i lived there when i was a student and i had an idea of uh the place obviously because i used to live there yeah and when i started the company uh, and I wanted to go after renovation work because I had started doing that work myself. Uh, I, we were pricing jobs all over the place. And I found that nobody wanted to come to Hamilton. They look at the houses and they're just in brutal shape. The floors are slanted. You know, the trades. Trades, trades, trades yes. didn't want to come to Hamilton. At People the time. didn't want to drive out to Hamilton because it was like too far. Like Hamilton was like its own province type of thing. As the years have gone by, obviously now, there's a Different. ton of work in Hamilton and everybody's okay to come there. Yeah. 
So I found that, yeah, it has crept up. So one of the reasons that I did go there is because I was okay to drive out there and not many people were bidding the jobs. So clients were coming and saying, okay, we want this work done. We can't get anyone to do it. So why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I bid the job? What kind of clientele was, like, I, I know the history of Hamilton and the type of homes that were built. And I know that people bought these homes back in the 60s, 70s and 80s for less than what you pay for a car nowadays. Um, but then you had all these elderly people that were basically passing on or handing the house off or just selling it, downsizing, whatever. Are you talking about a younger generation were coming to Hamilton and buying these places and wanting to renovate them to fit their ideas? Nowadays, definitely. But then back in 2016? Back then, it was, um, it was a combination. But it's uh, people that are homeowners. Some of them have lived there for quite a while. They just need a bathroom updated. Got it. Some of them, you know, need a refresh on the living room, bathroom, kitchen area, uh, stuff like that. So it was, it was, it was random. But at, like today, I would say it's a lot of people that have moved from Toronto that now live over there. And now today, it's a whole other story, man. Today, it's like, I guess back in 2016, you could find a 1,200-square-foot house like that age. Probably, I'm going to guess here, maybe three or 400,000. Exactly. But today, double that now for that same dwelling? Easy. And then you're renovating it. Yes. And then you're renting it or selling it. And are you, are you tickling a million dollars now to sell a property in Hamilton? Yeah, easily. It's getting up there, no yeah, problem. Yeah, huh? yeah depending, depending on the area. Some... Some areas, if you want a turnkey home, you're not going to find anything decent for a million. Crazy, huh? You know, good areas up the mountain, certain pockets, under, like below the mountain in, in uh, the downtown area, you're not going to be able to get for those kind of prices. But if you want something that needs a bit of TLC, then you'll find a bunch. So at what point did you realize about the garage dwelling, that, that idea? When did you spark that? So th this is new. That, that that started spiraling with the whole uh, Ford bill. Yeah. Um, and, and, the laneway and, uh, homes and everything. Exactly. So yeah. the, the garage conversion or the garden suites yeah. or in Toronto, what they call it is the, the, the laneway homes yeah. is a new, it's a newer concept. Is Hamilton still allowing the second floor dwelling as well on top of the garage or not? Yes. Up they to are. four units. Uh, so you could put four floors? No. You could split the unit. You can. Okay. So you can have one dwelling. Okay. single family home okay and you're allowed to have up to four units on it zoning wise okay so that means you could put two on the main house you could put two in the garage is that what you're saying don't forget you got to meet obc yes so it's just the more difficult it's going to be to meet obc requirement the more expensive it's going to get so the house for example let's say you have a house with an attic you could in theory put basement main floor second floor and then attic Oh, okay, so you could really if you wanted, yes. How but do you meet OBC on that situation? When you hit four units, they get a bit more stringent with the requirements. Yeah. So you have, have to have minimum one parking spot. So if you have no parking spot, now you're doing curb cut. Now you're you know repaving and so for four units in one dwelling, the minimum required is one parking spot for all four units. Yes. Wow, this has been my problem about Lanesway. Like that, it's it's a hundred percent my problem. Mm -hmm. It's not everybody doesn't drive. Yeah. Not everybody cycles. And when they cycle, those cyclists don't cycle in their winter months. Yeah. Canada is Canada. We, you can argue all you want. There's still four months of winter. Yeah. Right. But a harsh winter. So that's four months where, you know, cycling's yeah, no, not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So all of a sudden, but then again, I guess today most people can't afford the car and you can only rent. So their, I guess their thought process is that only one person will 
have a car space or need a car space? The, 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 the parking requirements are low, but they're not, um, uh, it all ties to whatever the existing parking is. Got so it. for example, uh, I said, I jumped the gun and I said, you only allowed one or you only need one parking spot. I should clarify because it depends what the existing parking is. So, so if you if, already have two spots there. If you have two spots, you got to add one. Uh, I, I believe it's oh. either you got to add one okay. or it's either uh, you only need one. But I, I got to clarify that because uh, the architect usually knows, knows best. Yeah, but, they'll look at the rules, yeah. But if you have no parking, you have to now all of a sudden add a parking spot. And you got to request that as part of your permit when you're building. Absolutely, yeah. That's all got to be part and of that the That involves curb cutting, which involves city, which involves yes. their workers, not your workers. Depending, yes, depending where it is and, and the curb ground, what's private and what's public. And which involves zeros. Correct. Because they charge a fee. Yes. Everybody in Toronto knows that if you want to add sanitation or new water service in a new dwelling that you're building, if it's a brand new dwelling you've demolished, you're already doing the new services on the street. So yes. you're already, and then you can't do it. You have to hire the city to do it and they have a flat rate. I think the last time I did it was like 11 or 12K for it. That's just a standard, right? Yeah. Which is a lot of money. Mm. I want to ask you, Save, is, um, so max is four, but could you in theory, do you, or do you think it's going to get to the point where you can take that main dwelling, put four units in there, have a garage dwelling, and put two units in there? That's not allowable right now. No, it's not. Okay. I don't think that that would happen in the near future. Because too many people on one spot. Too many people. Um, it's technically the one lot, which is one parcel. You know, And then if they start allowing you to um to sever the land then that's a whole different ball game because that's a really lucrative opportunity if you're selling that as a separate house that's an instant value right there so i don't know if they're going to do it or not that's all speculation but right now it's up to four units and four units you have a lot more stringent obc requirements so the minimum headroom is a lot more so up to three units you have six one Six one on bulkheads, f clear, finished. That's your minimum. Yeah, that's low. Yeah, it's low. Wow. And then it's, I believe, six six or six seven to the ceiling. So think of a basement on these old houses. That's basically it. That's basic, barely it, because that's right under the ductwork. And after you do the fire separation, you lose quite a bit. Once you hit four units, that six one number goes up. It, it goes up quite a bit. So now you're underpinning. So who really wants to add a fourth unit in there for the cost of money? That's big money. Yeah, it's a lot of money at that point. Mm -hmm. But then again, I've got a friend who just told me recently that he actually bought two properties in Hamilton and he's renting them out because obviously, like you said, school-wise, that's what I remember back in our days when we were younger in our school days, mm -hmm. a lot of guys were going to Mac, so they were renting out there and mm -hmm. a lot of people around Mac or even near Mac kind of thing were all just renting out and they were literally just putting a door and a lock and that's your room and yeah. you're sharing these facilities and you try to ram as many people in this building as possible. He's renting, I think he's got two properties and he's got three tenants in each one and he's bringing in, I think, almost $3,000 a month on this one property. How many doors? How many rooms? Three, three separate units three on units their own, wrong. on their own, right? So they have their own uh, kitchens, they have their own bathroom and, and I, think it's, I think he may have said they have one, at least one parking spot on each of the properties, right? And he's renting by the room. He's renting it by the units, right? So, and oh, by the unit, and, okay. And he's getting almost three grand for all three units. Yeah, you should be able to get more than that. So what, it's like two bed, two bed, and two bed? Yeah. I don't know if it's a two bed on each one. I think maybe Could only one. one is two bed, and then two are one bed, yeah. right? Easily 3000 You can get more than that insane, today, too. right? Yeah. So he's probably buying these places for 600 I, He's not fixing any of it. He's just 
maintain it the way it is. Just and, passive. And then he's just renting it out to students, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what he's making the money from, right? But mm-hmm. I remember back in the day when we were younger, guys that were staying at these units, they would just trash the places because they didn't care. Yeah. You have to do a lot more due diligence now. Yeah. I, I could talk about this forever. I have <laughs> a, a few rentals myself. And when you're going through this and you have tenants that know the law and they know the Residential Tenancies Act, you're in some trouble. I hate that act. I, I hate it because I used to be a landlord. And it's not fair in, in all fairness. I just like everybody in construction, this is their first go-to idea about creating some passive income outside of swinging the hammer on their day-to-day job, right? So they save up and save up, buy a property. Hamilton's an attractive location to do so because of the universities that's there. And then you got a huge pool of tenants. Yeah. Um, but the thing is they also are very educated and they can milk the system and you can go a whole year, if not longer. I've heard of horror stories. I personally have experienced some stories where it's like six months I didn't have any rent, right? Mm. So it's like, and you got to start worrying about your mortgage payments because you're not bringing rent in and now you've purchased a property, you've renovated it to a point and you are just on the cusp of saving everything, right? So then if you don't get rent coming in, then you're in trouble at that point. Absolutely. Which kind of sucks, right? So I'm sure that you've come across it, right? Plenty. And then how do you deal with it? You deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? Each situation is unique. (laughs) You you, you kind of, I guess, custom. You just kind of figure out how to solve this problem. Each situation is unique, right? Like, I kind of understand both sides. So I'm a a landlord. So obviously, I'm going to be biased towards the landlord side. But I get both sides, okay? Sometimes you get people that legitimately milk the system. And those people irritate me yeah. because they'll straight up blackmail you and they'll say, okay, you know what? I know it's going to take this long. Pay me this or I'm not leaving. And then you're wow. at their mercy. Okay? Wow. And that happens a lot. Those people bug me and they irritate me because, again, they're milking the system. But then I do understand it from another standpoint. Let's, you know, those rundown apartment buildings. Okay. And then someone goes in, investor is buying it and wants to get rid of everyone, fix it all up and then put it on the market, increase the value of the building. Nothing wrong with that. It's a business. Using digital platforms in our industry is becoming more common, especially among the young folks, because it improves efficiency, prevents mistakes, and overall makes our lives as contractors easier. This is why we partnered with Connect Team, a platform built to manage, train, and communicate with your team. Connect Team's desktop version gives managers a live overview of the business to track work hours, create schedules, make sure the business meets compliance, and so much more. Employees just download the app to their mobile to clock in and out, share safety reports, and get updates all in one place, ensuring they've got what they need to perform at their best. Connect Team has a free plan and a 14-day free trial. Try them today by checking out the link in the show notes. Some of those tenants are such low income and they're on you know all this uh, government assistance and you get a single mom with two kids who's been in there since the 70s and the 80s. And she has nowhere to go. She's paying 700 bucks in rent. Where's she going to go? She's not. She's literally going to be on the streets. Yeah, she's not going to find a place. She's not going to find a place. Now, I get it. That's not the, That's the not landlord's problem. Yeah, I know. But it's a government issue, which all comes back to the same problem. We are short on housing. And the most important thing is affordable housing. We're short on affordable housing. There needs to be homes that are available under 1000 bucks a month. Who's fully responsible for the cart before the horse situation in this because i mean i'm dumbfounded about how expensive rent is i've got another friend who's got a property where he can't even kick out his tenant because they've been living there for about six years 
and he wants to finally move back in and take the property for himself and she's refusing to get out because she knows that X amount is what she was paying back then and yeah. it's only increased so much every year mm -hmm. that if she gets on the street, she's never going to find anything that's probably half of what she's paying. Like it's, it's going to be double what she's paying right now. For sure. But you scary. know what? If you can't afford it, downgrade your lifestyle. Yeah. Too many people are in this position where they just want to maintain their life and they, th they think everybody's, everyone says housing is a human right. Yes, shelter, I think, is. is. But there's many different kinds of housing. I'm not going to come and say, I want a brand new, everything is all new, finished, renovated, roof over my head, no neighbors, and that's my right. No. A roof over my head could be sharing a bedroom, could be a basement. So people misuse that a lot to sort of take things in their favor. There's a lot of also... Um shared spaces yes. so you're getting a lot of students that are coming in and they're just sharing a whole floor so they share the kitchen share the bath mm -hmm. and then they have their bedroom and that's it mm -hmm. and you can get as many what i don't know three people depending on if it's a three-bedroom home there's a lot of that going on mm -hmm. a lot of students are looking at those opportunities as well because the numbers are too high yeah i have uh tenants that come into uh, and then they rent a four-bedroom home it's only two people and then they bring two friends that come in occasionally to take the two bedrooms 600 the bedroom that's basically it so that's 1200 off their rent let me ask you, say, if it's, um, does it matter if you renovate it nicely, you take care of it, brand new kitchen, brand new bathroom, brand new flooring, brand new paint job, brand new everything. It smells new, right? Versus you just do half-ass and it looks okay and whatever, it's crap. Does it matter whether a tenant's going to wreck it or not, or it doesn't matter at that point? Will they respect the new that it's taken care of and everything's working fine, or will they just treat it the same way if it wasn't done? I always go a little bit overboard, and right. I'll tell you why. When I do that, let's say you're you're doing to, you're putting together a unit, a three bedroom unit. It's supposed to go for twenty five hundred a month. That's the market rate. Yeah. But you do it nice, nice. You put that extra twenty thousand dollars into it. You buy nice material. You do a couple of accent walls, stuff like that. I'm not going to ask for twenty five hundred. I'm asking for twenty six, yeah. twenty six fifty, something like that. The type of people that you're going to get at that point is way reduced. So if I was supposed to get 30 applications in the first week, maybe now I'm only getting 10. Yeah. But they're quality. So you can pick a lot better tenants. Generally, I haven't had um, too many terrible experiences. And anytime I have, it's been in a unit that's like, you know, quick lipstick job or something like that, because then you get the masses going to these type of units. Well, that's a good point. No, it's very true. So I want to ask you, how like how much of your week do you spend on being a landlord and how much of your week do you spend being a contractor? Almost all my time is a contractor. I'm a contractor, okay. right? Yeah. This is just something, you know, anybody that's in the business always dabbles on this on the side. So if I'm gutting one of the homes that has been there for many, many years and it's in rough shape and I want to pull a permit and pull multiple units on it, then obviously naturally a lot more of my time is going to go towards it for the next uh, six to 12 months, depending on the job. But once it's renovated. But once it's done, then nothing. You don't spend anything. No. You don't focus on being a landlord. You just, no. your job is to find the tenant, they get in there and then that's it. And exactly. hopefully everything's all good. And if there's a problem, yes, we deal with it at that point. Yeah, if there's a problem, like I have someone that that, that would take the calls and then, you know, send out the handyman if we need to send out the handyman. But, you know, when I do these units, it's all new. New, new, new furnace or new heat pumps, new water tank, new finishes. So, like, what's going to break down is going to be minimum. Yeah. It'd be a handle here or there. It doesn't really matter. Why are you matter. going down? I mean, I know why I went down that road, but why are you going down that road? You just 
are trying to minimize the amount of phone calls later on. You want this place to last as long as possible yeah. where you can have a tenant come in there, live there, and then maybe about two, three years, you just repaint the place. You don't yes. have to rebuild any part of that place. Exactly. That's, and I did it for the exact same reason. I do it because I want quality assets. When I do something, I'm not looking for a return tomorrow. I'm not looking for a return in two years. I'm looking at you buy something and anything you do today needs to be at least a five-year commitment. That's always how I believe. So if, you, if you're buying a new office or moving into a new building or something like that, never think short-term, one year, two years. You always got to think five years plus. But that's the market. Like most, I guess, shoddy contractors mm -hmm. that look at this opportunity will cut so many extreme corners, like tile around a wall plate. You know what I mean? Like they'll just do all kinds of shoddy, shoddy stuff just yeah. to save a few bucks. But I guess they don't care about the quality of tenant that they're going to attract, right? Yeah. And that applies in your work. It applies if you're investing on the side and applies yeah. anywhere, right? If you're doing something and you're doing it, you got to do it right and you got to do it wholeheartedly. Otherwise, don't do it at all. But that's so, not what I'm saying is that's not the industry. The majority, we have the fly by night guys that are doing yes. it the quick, dirty, dirty, dirty way of doing yeah. things, right? And you know what? That's in every industry. Yeah. You, it's in your blood. If you're made, and you've grown up to always do things perfect or at least do it wholeheartedly with 110% effort, that's always going to be in you. If you're a kind of person where you're lazy or you cut corners or something like that, it's most likely going to be in you all your life. What's the size of the crew that you guys, I mean, how did you build your team? So we fluctuate, actually. I, I was at, uh, we were at 20 guys uh, in-house for quite some time. And recently we are down to about 15 and with a lot more sub trades. So you just, you didn't downsize, downsize the manpower, you just downsized the way you attack the manpower. Yes, exactly. Because we just see that we provide value in certain things. Like you need full-time staff for things, but I, at one point I tried taking way too much on our plate and doing absolutely everything in-house and it gets a little bit of a disaster. How hard for, was it to find the people? Like again, back to nobody was coming from Toronto? It's a, it's hard it's hard to find people, but then it's one of those things that gets easier year after year, and that's one of the reasons that I love this business. When you have someone that's been with you for one year, it's very different when that person's been with you for three, four, five years with a company truck, with benefits, with a gas cart. Now they're managing two crews exactly how you could manage them. You know what I mean? So that's a lot less headache off your plate because the day-to-day -day BS that people deal with it's like now he's dealing with it because you guys are one. You've been together for five years and, yes. and it's all taken care so of. So you're looking at it like, I guess you're quantifying it. You're looking at what's the amount of efficiency I can gain from giving this person all this responsibility and they can deliver mm -hmm. versus you trying to ma micromanage them and then having it cost you because now you're a part of the equation which doesn't make any sense when you figure it out, right? Yes, and you only find that out when you've been through it a few times, yeah. right? You only found that you're like, oh, wow, we're actually not that efficient. You know, like certain things, unless you're doing it day in, day out, there's the guys that do it day in, day out. No one is going to do it better than them. Install vinyl floors. The guys that do it day in, day out, I've seen over 1,200 square feet a day. I, I, we're never going to hit those numbers. I can't even do half of that it myself. Takes me, I, it takes me two days to do 600 square feet, <laughs> if I can get the 600 The guys feet. that do it day in, day out, and you see with their pads, someone is cutting, they're, they're sitting, he's got a list, bam, 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 this is the size of all the cuts, go do them, someone's running back and forth from the saw, they're so fast. 
So some things makes no sense for us to do. Is Hamilton just going to continue to get saturated? Like, are we, everybody that can't afford Toronto is literally taking the hour and 10 drive to go to Hamilton and move there instead? Yes, because the stigma in Hamilton is just because of all the industrial. Blue collar. Uh, yes, but like the, the kind of industrial, there was such a massive boom with, with steel production and all that. And when all those workers got laid off, obviously it's very, those are not skills that are very easily transferable, right? It's not like construction. When you're working in a plant in a fixed sort of facility, um, like manufacturing, it's, it's cookie cutter. So you don't develop transferable skills. So all those people, when they were laid off, they were a big negative on the economy, right? And there's still all around the area. That's why it's the, the area is so run down around the factory. But the factory got bought out by a, um, uh, a real estate fund, or a real estate investment trust, something like that. Okay. And they have a massive 10-year plan where they're completely getting rid of all of that, all the, the factory and... and That's um, all going by? It's all going and it's going to be a state-of-the-art modern industrial. Meaning? Think about it like... Uh, distribution and shipping and receiving but all completely open with these modern buildings ships coming in and out and super efficient oh so think of it like a big amazon facility or, or something like that it doesn't specifically have for to be the, amazon for, for the waterway yes for the water for the waterfront area that right now has industrial on it so it has all the factories and you know the stigma that's when attached did they to propose Hamilton. that I don't remember when they bought it. Don't quote me on this. No, no, it's like a year ago. Okay, a year ago they bought it. A year and a half ago, something like that. So I guess they're planning all that. So then, when you start building all the residential around there, and you're getting closer and closer to their lines, Mm -hmm. you don't feel like. Listen, it's it's a certain feeling when you drive by what it is currently right now. Yes, it's very industrial, very steel. I'm waiting for Balboa to be running down the street. Like it's just like that, right? Yeah, and it has a certain scent right around that area because of that metal like it's mm. just how it is so they're gonna they're gonna eliminate all that and then all of a sudden you're gonna have all these dwellings around there that people are gonna walk around and not not dwellings because they're not converting it to residential no it's but staying just around industrial. it just in the perimeter of it right yeah well look it's like any area where you have these infill projects so uh think of uh, uh, any area where you have two three stories very small yeah. buildings commercial on the main level residential upstairs I've done so many buildings like that where they're just abandoned, they're crack houses, and they're in brutal shape. And we come in, we take one block, one corner, and we completely revitalize it. Got the inside, all new, nice white box with rough-in on the commercial side, ready for a high-quality tenant to move in. And then upstairs on the residential, all brand-new units. Looks amazing. You see the neighborhood change. The people that... The, 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 the people that used to squat inside those buildings no longer go to those areas because... They can't get anything. They can't rip out any wiring. They can't cause any commotion. So those people are now gone. The quality businesses now have quality customers. So you slowly start seeing the area within like 12 to 18 months get a lot better. You know, that's the sort of like revitalization of these infill projects. So something of that scale where you're, you're doing that in the waterfront and you're getting rid of uh, the factories and all that and you're doing like a modern industrial, it's going to have a trickle effect on the neighborhoods around it because now certain people are going to be okay with living there. Is it you know? risky being the first one? Yeah, always. You're going to see a lot slower return because it's a, slop, a slow process. And then are you fixated on doing <clears throat> that first one and then once you complete that, you figure let's do the neighbor or let's do down the street so then we can stay in this area and keep on building this or are you looking at a different area oh are you talking for purchasing yeah no i don't purchase in those areas oh you don't (laughs) (laughs) well you just finished telling me that's what you're tackling or other people are tackling that other people look there's different styles of investing right Uh, i i risky you go to work and all of a sudden you turn around and your drill gun's gone right because they're 
yes talking it right that's, yeah but that's not even my issue like again when i do something i do for five years plus right i like to buy sort of think about it as the worst house in the best neighborhood oh you're looking at it okay like that the worst house that has the potential to become the best house but you're not going into those harsh harsh neighborhoods yes because those are like call them b and c neighborhoods and it's still a fine business if you're in that business but if you're in that business, be prepared to get maybe five calls a week type of thing versus I get it once a year. It's funny. You tell me if Hamilton's like this because I was recently, I occasionally do this because I think maybe I'm getting older and I want to reflect or something. But I was walking around downtown Toronto. Mm -hmm. And it's just so extremely funny how it brought me back to my 20s when I went to L.A. for the very first time. And if, if you've ever been to L.A. and you're walking yeah. down between Hollywood and Beverly Hills, it's literally like a line. It's like a checkpoint. You've, you're leaving the hood, which is Hollywood, mm -hmm. and you're entering luxury area, which is Beverly, right? Yeah. And that's what's becoming with Toronto. You're leaving like one area. If you're at Jarvis in front or Jarvis in Queen area and you start walking eastern, east way, and all of a sudden you're getting closer to uh, Parliament in Sherburne, for one thing is the, the first thing I noticed was that there was no police presence, presence in the first area that I was in. And then the moment you literally go one block, police presence everywhere and then squatters everywhere and then streets. And you're like walking around going, I'm literally looking over my shoulder back at one block away and it was safe feeling. And now all of a sudden I'm feeling unsettled now, right? Yeah. Is Hamilton the same kind of idea where it's like you're, you have this line of society, so to speak. And then that line is just being pushed. So it's like a lot of people are turning to the streets because they can't afford it. We talked about that earlier on. But um, they have to go somewhere. And shelters are not always the option for a lot of people. So like you just keep pushing on these limits. And I think Toronto has become really bad. I'm assuming that Hamilton might be the similar situation. Yeah, we have the same thing. But um, rather than a line that's drawn, it's pockets. Got it. So you have little pockets that are, you know, sort of like, almost big red flags you can think of them so they're just staying that way so as as a, a contractor investor you're looking at it going it's not worth the fight i guess to get into that neighborhood not not really unless you get someone that's going to be the only way to clean up a neighborhood you need a massive infill project that's going to be the catalyst someone's going to pick say i'm buying this block and i'm cleaning it up then you're like okay this person's going to be the catalyst they're going to have the hardest time. It's an uphill battle. But then once they've turned it around, you can start jumping in after because you know the area is getting cleaned up. Why not pool? Like, I remember having a conversation with a trade um, not too long ago. It's like we got all these skills. And why don't a group of trades pool each other together and all of a sudden you come in and, and do that exact infill idea? Or is that just too much responsibility for all these guys that are working and girls that are working day-to-day -day jobs in the trades right yeah so in terms of the work itself it's not as big of a challenge as the number one needs to be first the financial commitment commitment so that's a different business right yeah. if you're in the trades you maybe you're not necessarily buying all this stuff right we're definitely doing the work but every trade is thinking about this because like i said earlier it's like this is the first thing that most trades go to regarding having this secondary income because right. in construction and you know this there's a plateau you can do as many homes as you want you'll make x amount of dollars you can keep on growing your workforce and you might increase your x dollars a little bit but it's not until you start taking these other dwellings on the side 
and create passive from it from tenants that you start growing considerably right you're right yeah and generally speaking the larger the project the more you only want one captain of the ship of course so otherwise you know if everybody's getting hurt that's a disaster and yeah. it'll probably take too long so is that what it, i i, I kind of see that point because i started thinking if you try to pool a bunch of trades together they all want to work on a project this is what i remember it was gary i was talking to gary who's up at cottage country okay. and he was renting a cottage and he was telling me what he was paying for the cottage and i was like dude man like you me and a few others we can just blink of an eye and we can build this ourselves and then we all time shared so to speak and that's mm -hmm. how the conversation came about and i think that if you got the right team of trades together you could probably pull that off but you're right you still need one person that's a captain one person that's playing the gc and then yes. everybody else is part of the team right football team is yes, basically exactly. what it becomes right yeah, you need to be able to trust one person. Like everybody's got to be able to trust one person. You need one captain of the ship. Otherwise, you're not moving. If you got to get everybody's approval on everything and everyone's like 10% owner. You won't be. Then what? Then you're our clients, man. Yeah. That's what happens. You're our clients at that point. One step forward, two steps back. Which makes no sense. But how was it? For that very first garage dwelling that you did it, like what was it that you um, you walked on a property, like you saw a property and you saw the potential between that garage and you said, there's an opportunity here, let's tackle it. And then how was that first one? Yeah, so the first one actually, um, uh, uh, someone that I knew, he's a real estate agent, he brought a property to me and he, he introduced this idea to me. And he's like, look at this thing, you can turn it into a house. I'm like, are you sure? I said, yeah. <laughs> It's okay, put an what offer. Year, what year is this? This is all, this is all new. This is, uh, less than two years ago. Less than two years ago. Yeah. Okay, and you were unsure of what he was talking about, but But sure. it made sense. Yeah. Some things you can just feel it's the right move. You know, if you sit and overanalyze everything, then you become like those guys that are, they just get an uh, analysis paralysis. Yeah. Oh, but this number, but this many cents, but that could go wrong. But yeah, well, anything could go wrong any day. Anything. Exactly. Yeah. So why not take an opportunity and turn it into what you can? Yeah, so he showed me that, I bought it, and then we just started flying with it. Got in touch with an architect that's done a few of these. Um, it wasn't as much in Hamilton, but like apparently there's a lot, at the time there was a lot being done in Brantford, so he had quite a bit of experience doing these in Brantford, so he's like, yeah, for sure, I could do this here. And then, uh, yeah, the build is not very difficult. You was just, it one floor only or two floor? One floor. One floor only. So then the idea is that you've got a main entrance. Is it on the laneway side or on the residential backyard side? This one was on the, uh, kind of on the driveway side. Okay. So you can just walk into it. And then I guess, what was the rules at that time? Or there's still the same rules. So there's still amount of light that you have to enter each of the sides? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the light, obviously. Okay, so the one thing that's different about these is they're held to a new build standard yeah. today. So for example, renovation is meter exceed, right? So if you have lath and plaster, and it's just strapped on the, an exterior brick wall in a home, you don't have to do any insulation or frame it technically. So it's grandfathered? Yeah. Uh, no. Regular houses, grandfathered. This one is held to new build standard. So you have to fur out the walls and you have to... No matter what's R22. Yes. And who has two by sixes on the exterior of an old... Nobody Nobody. Does. So it's more work. So are you, are, are you demoing the walls at that point or you sister you have to you have to demo well, you could sister if you want or that's you could build another one in front of it yeah okay so but then you, you lose you, space you lose space that's yeah. the thing about it yeah so you still have to be able to meet those square footages and all that so there's little details for example um existing foundation you do you pour a new slab you have to what do you put under there's r5 
R5 or R10, yeah, depending. You, you got to put rigid underneath it. You got to put some rigid, right? Yeah. That house definitely has no rigid. No. So you got to put rigid on top. So now how are you going to put the floors? Floating floor, you're going to leave it on rigid? No. So you got to go subfloor. And then you got to go vinyl. But now all our headers are off, right? Because that's way too much. You don't have that much play in the door. You got three or, quarters of an inch. Yeah. So it's like little things like that on these jobs that are a bit intricate. And, uh, but once you do it once, twice, then you're okay. I've never built one. How are the inspectors when they're walking through those dwellings? Honestly, it should be a requirement that each one of them needs to build one before they come in. Because they don't it. know enough of it to understand. I had an inspector once tell me, I hope they're not one of your listeners. <laughs> I have no idea. There's so, inspectors listening. I know that. That's fine. No names, obviously. <laughs> but uh, I had an Smith. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Smith. So I had them once tell me I had finished the entire inside. Okay. And you could tell that they were a little bit green. So, you know, I, I'm like, okay, what's going on? I was always waiting for something. So sometimes I would leave things wrong on purpose. For, for them to catch it. Yes, because I'm like, you got to catch something because she's not going home saying I caught nothing. Okay. So she would go in, walk in, in, in the property every single time. Same thing. She'd walk in for every single stage of an inspection. Yeah, yeah. All good. All good. Just a second. And she goes to, to the car outside, goes to the car. I see her pulling out the OBC. Fuck me. <laughs> Why are you going to pull out the OBC for? Pulls out the OBC. And then one day she comes back. This is one of the finals. Like we're almost at the final minus a little bit of miscellaneous smoke alarms. So this is the final walkthrough, like right? Yeah, it's almost right before the final, right? Okay. We were just like plumbing hookups, small stuff left. Okay. okay. She comes through. She's like, hmm, this existing foundation needs to be four feet below grade like no it's not on the drawing it says existing foundation and whatnot she's like no i want it underpinned like no no you don't i'm not underpinning yeah anyway so you asked me well, you know what what sort of the inspector i wish if every inspector would just build one or understand the code from a practical standpoint i wish everybody really not just even tradespeople, engineers inspectors everybody needs to be practical I, with these I, builds because we're doing this is a net positive yeah. this is a net positive on the industry and on the economy so there's got to be a little bit of leeway so what was the final on that oh i didn't do it i just got a letter from an engineer saying that uh existing so you slab it, is right so yes you challenge and you have every right to challenge it so uh, why was she so adamant that it had to be below the frost line? Uh, because the existing permit said existing foundation four feet below. But the existing wasn't. But I, I know, but that's, see, that's a standard stamp as part of the OBC that they just naturally assume a slab is supposed to be four feet. But if Correct. you're dealing with the new rules now and you're dealing with a new, an existing concrete, exactly, it's not four feet below. It's not never will be but it's existing but then what's the point of using something existing so you got to have a little bit of leeway just like like some things i get it you can hold it to new build standard but you can't hold absolutely every single assembly in detail what's the to fear? new standard i'm looking at science here so when it gets cold the entire structure goes up and then when it gets warm the entire structure goes down yes that's what happens in a garage and yes. then you can you know that happens even if you have a detached or a attached garage to a dwelling it doesn't go up. It's got a concrete. But I guess, yeah, in, in that situation, those foundation walls are below frost line. So that's why it doesn't stay that way. But the thing is, your garage is not attached to another dwelling that's got footings on it. Correct. So it's not going to affect it. Engineer-wise, <clears throat> it won't. 
look, there's going to be heaving. Okay? There will be, but it's not going to damage things. But the structure has been there for 50 years. So it's very different if I built something today above the frost line. Obviously, it's a no-go. That's soft soil. You just compact it. It's still going to settle, long-term settlement. But after the long-term settlement's done, that thing's not going anywhere. So she said, oh, well, you know what? I need it underpinned and, and stuff because I want everything to be four feet below grade So um, because we need to make sure that it can support the current loads. I heard that. I said, I said, oh, I was about to say the name. Sorry. <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> no, definitely not. So I said, look at the place. It's a double door garage, two cars deep. It's four cars. Yeah. You know how much a car weighs? You know, this is a one bedroom. You know how much a person weighs? It's going to be two people instead of four cars. Yeah. What do you mean? It can't support the weight. So uh, there needs to be a practical aspect to the construction. You know, so it's like even if the code's saying, okay, you got to hold it to new build standard, you can't hold absolutely everything to new build standard. There's a reason when you're renovating an old home, they say meet or exceed because some things that is not possible to exceed without tearing down the whole house. There's so many things that are conflicting that it's just like, I guess the more I'm in it, the more I challenge it. Yeah. And you have every right to challenge it. And I do want to do a little quick shout out to Tim there from Pound for Pound out of uh, Vancouver there, Pound for Pound. And he was actually telling me a little story about he was dealing with an engineer on site that the junior showed up on site and was demanding certain things. And then Tim had to remind him of another structure that they worked on that didn't build to that standard and it's perfectly safe and sound, but the junior just wanted to throw the weight around there. And yeah. then all of a sudden he brought it up to challenged it. Mm. And then all of a sudden he got a, an email saying it's perfectly fine the way it is. You don't have to do anything else. It's all good. That's good. So that's just communication. Right. Mm. But that's like, I, and, and I, you know, congratulate him saying, listen, you have every right to speak up, man. Like you're not being an asshole about it. You're just, you have every right to challenge it. So if you disagree, and I agree with you about how they need to be on site more because we're on site. So it's like you, you you pay attention to what's been built and then you learn from that. Then you build the next one. Then you pay attention to what was built there. Mm-hmm. Then you start adding all the numbers and the letters and the equations and the, the, the load and all this. You start figuring out, wait a minute, like, couldn't we do this? Couldn't we do that? And that's what engineers like seeing on tradespeople on site is communicating back and forth. And I think inspectors need to be doing the exact same thing. Enough with the demanding and pull out the OBC book. And that's the other unfortunate thing. It's digital now. You don't need to pull out the book anymore and carry that nonsense of it, right? So it's just like communicate to solve the solution. Don't demand just because you are of a position of authority and you can shut down this job site or do all this stuff. But we have every right to challenge it. And all you're doing now is just everyone's back is up against the wall. That's all you're doing until we prove our point. Using digital platforms in our industry is becoming more common, especially among the young folks, because it improves efficiency, prevents mistakes, and overall makes our lives as contractors easier. This is why we partnered with Connect Team, a platform built to manage, train, and communicate with your team. Connect Team's desktop version gives managers a live overview of the business to track work hours, create schedules, make sure the business meets compliance, and so much more. Employees just download the app to their mobile to clock in and out, share safety reports, and get updates all in one place, ensuring they've got what they need to perform at their best. Connect Team has a free plan and a 14-day free trial. Try them today by checking out the link in the show notes. Yeah, you're right. So I think uh, a lot of it is ego. Yeah, and for sure. I think if everybody had the mentality that this is a team sport, the most successful projects I've been on 
and successful doesn't necessarily mean like you know in any specific way but i'm talking in an entirely general sense everybody's happy with the product everyone's proud of the job things were as close to on budget and on time as possible are when everybody's working together client engineer architect contractor inspector everybody because everyone has strengths so do the inspectors so does everybody else do you think and i agree with you i i love the commodity where it's like you have the crew like a con a construction crew that works together well it's perfect it's like everyone knows each other's character personality and they all kind of work together really well and i still strongly believe that to build a structure it's a team and that includes the inspector that includes the engineer the architect the clients that includes all the tradespeople, everybody that's associated geo engineering all it includes the entire team mm-hmm. i just get the sense that the building inspectors are the last kid that's picked on the team and they really want to stick it to us every time they get right like i was chosen last i should have been chosen first and i'm like listen be grateful you were chosen yeah right sure. <laughs> that's, that's how i look at it for all that's my fair. friends that are inspectors but you're right. I mean, if we work together collaboratively and then all of a sudden we have a team and then you're part of that team. I've invited inspectors before when the job is done. I was like, dude, come by. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, come by. It's all finished and whatever. Like, after you do your walkthrough, come by as a normal person, so to speak, and just check out the structure that the team is proud of. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And a lot of them, they just deny it because I don't, I don't think they want to cross that line. Yeah, of, it's where it's friendly. I, yeah, I'm an inspector, but don't worry. The water cash is in your car seat right there and everything's all fine. That's a yeah. different relationship, a different kind of builder and things like that. And I've heard of those stories, but that's a different podcast. Yeah. But I, yeah, I mean, I, the team thing is what I've always loved about construction. If you can find the right team and you can work together, it's a well-oiled machine, man. Yeah, I agree. And you got to find those guys and girls. That's true. And you know what? Uh, to be fair to a lot of the inspectors, I see any inspector that I've met that's seasoned, they've been around doing this for 20 years or something. Most of the time, I, like, I, I love them. They're fantastic because they're always playing on their experience and they're super practical. In any industry, the ones that are always the biggest headache are the newest ones. And that's the junior engineer. That's the brand new inspector that's just seeing this for the first time, you know, prior to this, they only saw it on paper and now they're seeing it in person. And even in the trades where it's like, oh, the last guy doesn't know what they're doing. So we all have them in the industry, but that's like a junior problem. And I think it's the fact that everybody's maybe ignorant at that stage. So if everybody had the mindset where you got to all work together, then you're not going to have that problem at, at the junior level. And then we don't have these issues. I, I agree. But I still think that that junior is getting on that site and they are have a chip on their shoulder because they were chosen last. <laughs> There's no convincing you. <laughs> I don't want to pick him or her. I don't want him or her on my team. But um, no, no, they're all good. They're all great. I mean, it's just I, I think that if they don't, it's ego. You're right. It's it's all ego. And and you know what? Trace people are at default as well, right? Like you get a lot of old school guys or even young guys going a little cocky and like, listen, I built this property. Don't be questioning about anything I built here. It's all quite, it's proper, right? And I'm mm-hmm. like, maybe it isn't proper. Maybe you did miss something or whatever, right? So it's like a fresh pair of eyes, respect it. Mm-hmm. Let them come on site. If they see something that you may have missed, great. But if it's a questionable act in the code, there's lots of things that are in the code that are questionable, right? Yeah. And then they eventually leave the code and then we improve. That's how we evolve the code. Mm. So it's just, but I mean, a lot of junior and I find you're right. 
they just stick so strictly to what's currently going on, even though if there's already chatter that this is going to get changed in the next revision, Mm -hmm. they still stick to that. And I'm like, so what's the difference between that and then it's being built a year from now? Well, this is allowed. This isn't allowed yet. Binary. Yeah. They're just, it's like, it's this or that. There's no reason. There's no in between. Yeah. What's your biggest gripe in the construction industry? What's your biggest bone to pick in the construction industry? Ooh, this is a tough one. Or is there many? I don't know. Uh, I, I think maybe the biggest bone with the industry itself or with a more practical sense. What do you mean? With the, with like uh, on specific job sites and, and yeah. things like that. Yeah. My biggest problem is people that don't get along, like people that put unnecessarily road, uh, unnecessary roadblocks in your way. Talking about tradespeople or just people that's part of the building process? People in general. You get tradespeople, yes. But uh, again, like we were just talking about inspectors, we're not going to ramble about that. But then you get sometimes unnecessarily like clients or clients' relatives or anyone that just wants to throw a wrench in there unnecessarily just to show us like, hey, I'm carrying weight. You know what I mean? It, and it's unnecessary. Sometimes it's unnecessary. Not sometimes. Many times it's unnecessary. It's just I wish, I wish it, people were way more collaborative. I agree with you. And it's funny that you brought up clients as, as that kind of roadblock because they are that roadblock. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I politely not listen to clients' extended family or their friends because my shoe has more experience in construction than they do. <laughs> so I leave it at that. So it's like I'm barely being nice to the client because you're hiring me and the crew to do the work. Mm. But why not listen to the professional that's done it more than once and experience it, right? Why do you have to listen to Google, Facebook? Yeah. Like you you listen to your own network of people that are telling you that they might be doing it wrong. And then they'll start speaking to other tradespeople and you don't know who they're speaking to. So it's like, why are you creating all this friction now? Why did yeah. you hire the person? You're right. You're right. And ag- again, like uh, back to the client, I, I, I like to sort of work with them. At the end of the day, we always work for our clients and we got to keep them happy. But at the same time, if we're believing in something and this is like absolutely the best way forward, we were hired to give the best possible result for the client, whether it's strictly quality or whether it's the most functional design or whether it's even where you're able to build something, the absolute most amount of renovation for a certain budget, where you just did it in a super savvy way. We're here to serve the client. How do you deal with challenging budgets? Because the clients will always want champagne, and then you see them drinking out of a glass of iced tea or something, right? Yes. Like, how do you handle that? I get frustrated. So there's a limit. Okay, that, okay but that's the hardest part. So you can never let it get to that point because most of the times you get frustrated is because you've been through it a thousand times. But then that last guy is paying for all the previous interactions. He's paying for but all the But they hired mistakes. you for your ideas. They hired Correct. you for your quality. Your, they hired you for all the reasons that you're presenting. Correct. But now they're debating you about the numbers that you're presenting in return for the ideas that they hired you. Correct. So I will never start, we will never visit a home if we don't have a general budget. Because if it's out of whack, if someone's like, I want to do this, I want to build a second story onto my home, I want to redo the first this and that. And, you know, even if it's a smaller home, it's maybe 400 grand, 500 grand. And they're like, I have $200,000. We say there's no chance, there's no chance, absolutely not, okay? So at that point, we'll sort of establish uh, something uh, uh, reasonable and we'll say, okay, is your budget 200? 
Because if it's 200, we're not even coming out and taking a look at it. Because the work you described, it is absolutely impossible to Where get Where are they getting that. their budget from? I know. I know. I, I'm just... I know. <laughs> Internet, talking to friends and family. And then my favorite way... The allowable bank. <laughs> their credit history. Their available funds. Well, yeah, that's, a, but you know what? You're probably right. Probably the way they're getting from is from the checking account. Whatever's there, yeah, that's whatever's the there. So it's like, that's okay. But where do you get your quote from? Us specifically? Yeah. You break it down. We, we give numbers for everything. Here's the thing is a lot of people. So I, one of the other places that uh, people get these numbers from is they start going in, start going Home Depot website. Okay. Well, how many pieces of two by four? Doing? Okay. So the material is going to cost X. Clients are actually getting that savvy. They're breaking it down per they're piece. They're breaking it down. I'll tell you something. And then they'll go down. Okay. It's this much in material. And then uh, they go ask around, oh, how long does it take to build? It takes this many people, this much. If they cost this much an hour, oh, you know, it should probably cost this. Wow. But you know what I mean? You pay a plumber to come in and rough in and finish your bathroom for $4,000. Yes, he's only day for, there for two days, two and a half days. But you're paying for the experience. You try and do it in two days, two and a half days. You know days. what? When I see tradespeople, when I look at tradespeople and I speak to tradespeople, as I'm speaking to that tradesperson and I'm getting, and you know this, right? You get a sense of who they are, what kind of quality they are, what they've achieved, what they're passionate about. And as I'm speaking to them, my eye vision starts to distort and I start seeing multiple versions of them behind them. Mm -hmm. So I, I, depending on who it is that I'm speaking to and the level of work that they've done and how many projects they worked on, I can see 20, 30, 40, 50 versions of that tradesperson. That's what I see when that first person of them, their first clone or whatever it is, they give me their value, their dollar value. The problem is no client in history that I've ever come across has ever looked at the thousands of other versions of that person behind that first person and that all those people behind that person is the years of experience. On-site, off-site, learning, educating, building a brand, all that stuff. You're not paying for one plumber. You're paying for tens and hundreds of plumbers behind them because they've been on so many different job yeah. sites and they've experienced working with other people. They've collaborated with other plumbers. They've gone to school. They've gone to training. They've done all this work. So when a plumber or any other tradesperson that's on a site speaks to me and they give me a number, I value that number. I'm not a client questioning that number. Mm -hmm. So it's insulting to me that I hear that you're saying that they go to Home Depot and they talk about a piece of wood. Then they talk to somebody else and this is what the price is. And Google says a plumber's worth this much. And I'm like, that's all garbage. Like when the bin gets here, I'm going to put that first in there. And then I'm going to start getting rid of all your garbage and put it in there on top of that. Mm -hmm. So Clients need to understand the value of how many years of experience behind a tradesperson. And that's why that dollar value is being presented to you. You're right. And you know what? A lot of clients now, you know, with the online world and everything is so accessible, a lot of clients are actually getting very savvy. So some, there's always going to be people that are ignorant. Again, back in the trades and on the client side too. Yeah. And if it's not a good fit, we have no problem saying that's okay. It's not a good fit for us because, like I said, the successful projects are the ones where you're both in harmony. You're working together and both of you have the exact same goals and you're both sort of helping each other because our, our, our job and what we do day in, day out is to deliver value back yeah. to the client. Yeah. So if the only item that the client sees is price and the lowest possible, that's fine. 
but we're not a good fit because we want to deliver value in other ways. Who's to put a price on giving you a perfect miter on an outside corner base? Who's to put a price on that? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So if you're, if you're, um, uh, goal is, is is sort of just the price and that's the only way you get value, There's that's fine. There's tradespeople for that too. You can go Kijiji, you can go wherever. And really, it is a good that's, fit. That's the problem with clients that they'll, it, if it's not you mm-hmm. and it's not your price, they'll find somebody and their price. They will. And we, we do it, we're not really vetting them out, but we're just making sure at the beginning that we're aligned. Now, someone can come in, a client can come and say, okay, I want to do all this work on the main floor and I want to do my basement and I'm thinking of doing some work upstairs. My budget's 200, all in. And you know what? You look at it and you're like, realistically, this is going to start at 250. But it's okay to start a conversation because it's not their job to be 100% educated in our field. So we will still take the time and we'll say, okay, look, that's a bit stretching it, but it's always like that. We'll say, okay, you can, our recommendation Take a smaller space and do it perfect because that you're going to be happy with. I've always said the same thing. It's like maybe you're not ready to rental then. Mm-hmm. Maybe you wait. Maybe you save. Maybe you. But then the other thing is that they'll find a contractor that will tell them you can totally do this for 200. Mm-hmm. And then they'll increase and increase and yes. increase. And all of a sudden, then there'll be friction. Then all of a sudden, they'll either fire them and then they'll leave and then they'll have to hire somebody else out. Then they'll just say negative things about the construction industry. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, where did it start? It started with you and an unrealistic budget. Yeah, so we take the time. As long as a client's within 20, even 20, 30% of what the number right off the bat is that we know just from briefly talking to them over the phone, then we'll take the time to sort of like think about it as educating the client. Because that's someone that's pretty close. Because most people can come with numbers where it's, it's off by double, triple. And that you can't convince. You know what I mean? Clients, They're not ready. Clients don't understand there is not a lot of profit margin in construction. As a GC, there isn't a lot of profit margin. You're right. Yeah. Right? And when I say, if you compare it to other things that clients would buy, a car, clothing, restaurant, just vacations, the profit associated with those other industries compared to the construction industry are night and day. Construction industry, you're lucky if you can try to get, for the most part, 13 to 15% profit margin. If you're getting in the low 20s, mid 20s, you're doing something really well. But that's the profit. That's, and then you have to break that down for your business as well. So you got to separate it, and part of that profit is going to be contributed to marketing costs and admit costs, and then you're even streaming it down. Most of the time, most guys who run a business, that 25, if it's on the higher end, 13 of it is going to cover a bunch of stuff, and then you're left with 12, 13 that's actually operating to move the business forward. Mm. So we're not locking, like literally a lot of tradespeople in this business that have construction businesses are taking in less than the government's taking in for tax. Yeah, Is that the truth or not? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. We're not making 50 points. No, we're not selling you on a $200,000 job and we're pocketing mm-hmm. 50 points off of that. There's no way we're not taking a hundred grand as profit. No, that's right. impossible. You're right. So it's like they, clients need to understand and they can't be questioning us thinking that we make so much money and it don't, I can't stand the argument about, but you rolled up in a really nice car. Mm-hmm. Maybe I've been smart with my money. Mm. doesn't matter if I've got a better car than you. Would it work on the other way around if the client had a better car than you and I'm going to say, I'm going to gouge you because you got a better car than me. Yeah. No, we don't do that. No. 
But I mean, that's where it's like, it's education. I've said it over and over on the show that I think clients, a lot of clients need to go to construction school before they start construction. Look, you're never going to change an industry. No. Okay. So all you could do is if you want to do well, you just have to focus on making sure that you have the correct partnerships. That's both your sub trades, your clients, everybody around you needs to be on the same page. If your business proposition is you finish your work fast in half the time that everybody else does, then you find a client that values time. If you pride your business on being the highest quality, most attentive to detail, you find that client. You know what I mean? Do the homework. If you're the one that you're running a lean, lean crew, just couple guys, cash, no office, you know what I mean? Then you're cheap. So cheap cost-wise, like you don't have to charge that much. You don't have overhead. You don't have all that stuff. So you go after the client that wants the cheapest client. And you're going to do well. Everyone's going to do well. But, but you have to align flying. yourself with the right one. You're flying by the seat of your pants because one little mishap. Yeah, you're right. And, and you're, you're not covered. I don't agree with that business. Yeah. That's why we're not in that business. Yeah. But it's I, I get it. It's for other people. Maybe it's uh, it's fine because they don't have to wake up every day and worry about overhead and worry about marketing cost and worrying about buying nice t-shirts for the guys and you know what i mean and and treating them uh, you know what i mean and, and and getting coffees and and you know what i mean doing all this uh, team bonding stuff they don't have to worry about that they come in do their work they leave they just want to run at bare minimum and that's fine too but you know that's not for me some clients are looking at all the the crew wearing the nice t-shirts and baseball caps and clean and everything like that and they're like is that part of my quote going towards that stuff wrong client it's wrong client exactly 100% <laughs> wrong client right wrong client we're, we're not gonna we're gonna work we're not working together as part of the team and guess what you were just chosen right before the inspector hmm. that's all it is right so if you want to be that way then that's fine be that way man we're getting close to wrapping up safe so I wanted to you want to shed some light on the HDTV opportunity or no that you're working on or yeah so we shot a pilot episode that we're uh, uh, planning on selling to HDTV so we're sort of talking to a few producers and we're trying to see if there's any interest in it it may be HDTV, it may end up being another network, but uh, it's shedding some light on tiny homes. It's a buzzword, it's super popular right now, and then the one that we specifically did was the, gra the garage conversion into a home. Yeah. How's that experience? That's new to you, right? It's new. Uh, here's my experience. Entertainment is so time-consuming and costly. I did not think it would take this much effort and time. So you did the one project. Uh, how many days did it... Did you have to commit to shooting that one project? We did four days. Okay. It wasn't nearly enough. And then how many days of construction did you do? Um, From start to finish. Start to finish the whole job. The whole job was about six months. Six months. But With servicing and everything. Six months, you had four shooting days, right? Yes. Which is minimal. Like, like that's hard next It wasn't that much. No, it wasn't. And you oh. created what? A 22 minute out of it? Or what did you, how long did you create? We wanted to keep it like really condensed and, and uh, with a lot of stuff action packed in there. So we ended up around 17, 18 minutes. Okay. The goal was 20 minutes, but we didn't quite hit it. It got maybe a little bit boring. So we tripped back, trimmed back some stuff. And then now it's just making the rounds through the production offices. Yes. That are, they're in bed with HGTV and other networks. Exactly. And then they just basically talk about, this is the new idea. It's And then this is what we want to present. And this is the possibilities. This is where it's going to go. And then you're dealing with all those kinds of meetings, right? Exactly. And you're meeting the ca colorful cast of TV characters that I call. <laughs> they're all monkeys in my <laughs> eyes. I'm sorry, but they're all monkeys. Most of them, actually every single one that I ever met, and I've gone through 50 plus of these meetings, 
They don't know shit about construction. Mm. And they don't care that they don't know shit about construction. You're talking to the producers or the networks? Or both? Both. (laughs) Yeah. Again, it's not their business. It's not their business, but it's my business if you're trying to reflect Mm. our business. Mm. You should least know what's going on. Mm. Right. It's like, I'm not going to go to the moon with Ryan Gosling. I'm going to go to the moon with Neil Armstrong, if they ever went. That's a different story, right? So that's what I'm saying is that they should educate. They They try to tell you that they know how to storytell. It could be construction, it could be cooking, it could be seamstress, it could be anything. That's what they try to tell you. But you need to know and understand contractors. You have to if you want to tell our story. Otherwise, you get the fiasco that's currently on TV right now, right? It's just an extension of them telling us that that's the story that Mm. is real life, which is not, right? And I'm sure that you want to portray something authentic, you're right, and um, but it's always like that. Whatever sells is not always the best product. Yeah. So if you get picked up and you start doing that, then all of a sudden you're going to focus on that. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think I'll ever take my uh, efforts off um, being primarily construction. These are all things. It's similar to how anyone in the trades buys houses and rents them, and then sort of leaves them. It's just like it's to me it's the same vertical it's just another way for us to also get our name out there a lot more and to show that we're different and we do things where we care so we're going the extra mile because when we shot the pilot episode the point of that is not uh, fame or any of that yeah obviously you're it's going to get some attention right but the the point of the pilot episode is for us to show that we're doing something different in the industry that we truly care about Right? Because when you watch it and you see the guys, everyone's passionate about what they do. Right? A lot of people maybe could do this and go into the entertainment side and think, oh, you know, I'm going to cash out big. But that, that's not the intent. And you can see that very quickly from doing it. So I just think everything uh, works hand in hand together and it complements each other. Was the crew frustrated with the cameras? No, we had a really good production crew. Okay. We had a really good, they just made everybody comfortable. They're pretty cool. The guys are, obviously our guys are, are super friendly and nice and easygoing. So everybody was sort of shooting the shit and it was, uh, it came out really natural. I haven't, I don't think, I haven't seen it. I think I saw the teaser. There was the teaser that I saw, which was like two minutes or something. Like yes. That. But no, you haven't posted the show itself. Uh, it's on YouTube because it's too long. Got it. Okay, so but it is on YouTube, though. It right? is on YouTube. So if you go to our YouTube channel, you're going to see the pilot episode there, in there, yeah. too. I'm curious yeah. to see it. I want to take and if you go into our Instagram bio, too, and you click there, you'll get a link tree, and it has the trailer, and it has the Got episode it. in there, okay. too. So how long has this been going on now that it started from the time? So I guess it's more than six months because the project took six months. Yes. So we finished the pilot maybe a month ago, a okay. month and a half, maybe. So now you're just going through the gamut of meetings and talking yes, to people. Yes, exactly. Like that, so. Exactly. And the point of the pilot was... Yes, the plan A is to get a network behind it because we want to highlight everything we love doing and and showing the guys and showing the team and all that. But another part of it was also uh, to highlight to our our current, obviously, followers, clients, and and people that follow us on social media to show the dynamic that we have going in there. Not everybody invests their time and their energy and their efforts in making sure that the team is cohesive. You know what I mean? And some clients value that a, a, a lot. Uh, we have an incredible amount of people that reach out and some of them ended up being clients where they said, you know what? We've seen your stuff. We've seen how your crew is and it's amazing how it's always the same guys that are on camera and we, we, we love it. So, you know, it's like they feel like they know us before we're even showing up to their house and some clients value that. So that's a good alignment right there. There's a question for you. When you're taking on a new trade or new employee, 
What's the first thing you're asking of them to be a part of the new four team? Okay. There's four things. Oh, there's four things. Yes. I want to know all four. In order of importance. Okay. Anytime we bring anybody on the team. Okay. Obviously, you got to make sure everyone's a good fit. So assuming they have like somewhat relevant background to whatever the role they're doing. Number one, you got to make sure that they're performance driven. Okay. And you don't do that by asking them, are you performance driven? You know, you give sort of like a ridiculous maybe ta- if when they're doing the working interview. So they have uh, the interviews in the office and that's more just a question Q&A based and stuff like that. And then if it's a blue collar position, then they obviously also have the working interview in the field where they go and they work with the guys. Okay, what do you do? What are you good at? This, 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 that. Then you give him something and you say, okay, well, you know what? Let's say he's easiest example, install floors. Everything's ready. It's all set up. It's all there. We want to finish this whole floor today. You see the reaction. Like, okay, they're positive. They're nodding their head. Their eyes are opening up. You can tell that person loves the challenge. Two, that's the first, part. That's the first one, most important one. Yeah. Second one is their willingness to do the work. So you give BS tasks, right? Some people have too high of an ego. I'm a, I'm a carpenter. I'm, I'm not sweeping today. Yeah. I don't sweep. That's beneath me. So two, they have to be performing. So one, performance driven. Two, they got to be willing. Yeah. Uh, Three is their uh, 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 personality. Get along okay. with everybody else. Yes. Okay. So that we got to make sure that everybody's sort of the same and in line and everything. And four is the know-how of the job. Because if you have all three, you're going to get that fourth one. It's just going to take a little bit of time. Yeah. But if you just have the know-how, you will never learn to be performance-driven, willing, and have the personality. So those are the four things we look Personality for. Personality is great. I agree with you, all four of them, totally. Yeah. Because you got to, I mean, I've butted my head's fair share amount, whatever, because someone wants to build a certain way. It's not the way I want to build. So mm. we can't get along. Good luck with everything. Take care. Goodbye. Yeah. Then Manny's an a-hole. That's all it is. All right, fine. Manny's an a-hole. Which Manny in construction are you talking about? Because yeah. there's a few of them in construction, but they're all a-holes. I'll leave it at that. But I like that. So that's how you talk to the, the new guys that come in, the new girls that come in, and you're telling them that this is what we're not necessarily expecting from you. This is what we want you to be a part of the team. This is yes. what, what's important to us to be a part of this team. Yes, exactly. That is the recipe for success. You're going to do well if you have these all these characteristics, especially the first three. How do you handle, listen, construction is construction. Things happen. Sometimes there's a mistake. Sometimes there's friction between clients. How do you handle that? How do you defuse a bomb? Okay. Whether it's a trade bomb or a client bomb, a supplier bomb, a lot of bombs, man. So usually when it gets to the point of it being a bomb, it's because most likely there's buildup. Yes. That's why it's an explosion. Yes. Right? And if there's a buildup, it's because you allowed it to, to build up, which means that there's no communication channel. So it's easier said than done. I'm going to say right now, oh, you got to make sure that you communicate. But that's all a business is. It's a flow of information from top to bottom, constantly all the time. Everybody knows what's going on because the key people know the key things. They know who's showing up on what day and this and this and that. If your super doesn't know that, the subcontractors, suppose the electricians are showing up today and the plumbers are showing up tomorrow and the HVAC is coming the day after and then this and this and that. And one doesn't show up and then they show up whatever day and his site is chaotic. He's going to come and, and he, he's going to explode at some point, maybe a week later. So you might say, why is he exploding? Just because the plumber was late. But there's a buildup. There's no flow in communication. Of course. And the same with the client. 
And it's your job as a business owner or as, a, as any level management, even if you're mid-level management, you're foreman, you're project manager, super, whatever it is, it's your job to make sure the communication is flowing. A client may not feel comfortable on a construction site, so they're not letting the communication flow. That's their problem, but it's going to be your problem. So you got to make sure that they're comfortable. So they're telling you things as you're going on, right? Don't hold back. Don't come and tell me that you wanted a wall right there, a small little partition wall or a closet built after the whole place is finished and we're putting floors in, you know? But yes, that's not your problem, but it's going to become your problem. So you got to make sure that you're communicating. So as Re long as there's- your clients. Yes, you, you got to make sure the communication is flowing. As long as that happens, in theory, if that always happened, you would never have any explosion. How are you with tradespeople that feel that they become too big for the team and they don't want to be on the team? They want to be team leader. Too big for the team is different than team leader. Yeah. Team leader is someone that's going to work with everybody. Yeah. Too big for the team is a big ego. Yeah. And there's no space for that on our team. Ever. You get one warning and then that's, I don't care how good of a tradesperson you are. And over the years, we've had to let many go. Fantastic. Some of the best tradespeople I've ever worked with. But always complaining, always bringing down the morale of everybody else. So it's great. If you're looking at it on a one-person basis, he's fantastic. But this is a team sport. Team. What job do you know that's built with one or two or three guys? None. There's 10 guys around you. So None. you have one guy that's fantastic, but then all the people around them now are not performing because they're that bad. You know what I mean? I, not in terms of a trade person, obviously, but I mean in the terms of working with them. Part. Yes. So there's no room for that. Any ego or anybody that thinks they're better than everybody else, friendly competition and stuff is fine. That's not you thinking you're better than someone. You're just sort of challenging yourself so you can both be better. So the intention matters. But if there's too much ego, that's a no-go. Where do you see the business? I mean, it's relatively a young business. Where do you see it like 10 years from now? The market, the market is changing a lot, right? So when I first started, it was half residential, half commercial. Then COVID hit. Then I became all residential. Now, um, it's, uh, then I became, sorry, all residential slash investment. So two sectors of residential it. where it's for the homeowners and investors, both residential. Now the homeowner part, because of the rates and whatnot, this is historic times, right? So because of the rates, so you, now you're seeing less work on the homeowner and renovation side where people are doing their own homes. You're seeing that less, which it was crazy at COVID times, right? And you're seeing more investment and more commercials coming back. So um, right now, a lot of commercials coming back. And, you know, we, a couple of years ago, we got bonded and everything. So now we're going after public projects. So in the, your area, like in Burlington? Yes, in Hamilton. Okay. Yes. Uh, and actually now we're starting to spread out a lot more than that. So right now, if you ask me today, if it continues this way, then uh, we'll be going a lot more in the, in, in the sort of public project side. Still renovation and whatnot, additions and whatnot, but they're larger projects. Um, all the ones that are coming in right now are much, much larger than But you're usual. not going to scale down the residential side. You're no. Just, it's going to continue going. Absolutely. But you're going to start to grow the commercial side of things. Correct. The residential is our bread and butter. It never makes sense to get rid of your bread and butter. It's what we understand, what we know how to do, and what we're good at. So we're never going to let that go. You still swinging the hammer? Your paper, swinging the pens. Yes. Yeah. Do you miss it? Uh, you know what? Some days, yes, because you sit in front of a computer 
and then it's all paperwork, paperwork, paperwork. There's not as much satisfaction as when you're sweating and you're out in the field and you're working and you're with the guys and you know what I mean? Sometimes you're in a closed door and you're in a phone meeting, the phone's on speaker for like two hours. It's uh, Sometimes it gets annoying. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's definitely pros to being in the field. If it was up to me and I could only pick one role, I would pick maybe a bit of a, a foreman slash super role on site where I'm on site every day, but then the guys are around and working and everything. So I think that that's the perfect medium, but you can't do that. What's uh what's the majority of the tools? What's what's the color that the you guys are using these days? The color? The color. I'm just curious. I haven't asked that question in a few shows. I'm just curious on I, is it rashed out to all the employees and sub trades or is it is like a mixed bag of uh, what? Sorry, I tool didn't follow brand. that. Sorry, tool brand. It's it's all over. It's all over, right? It's all over. But yeah. all your employees, they're all over as well too. There's no loyalty whatsoever. Are you talking you're talking the tools? Yeah. Yeah, it's all over. Everyone has their preferences, right? Uh, a lot of guys have, uh, you know, their preferences, the the DeWalt's and the Milwaukee's, and then others have, you know, those as the main ones, and then they have the sort of side ones that they've, they've been sitting around for 10 years. You know what I mean? Depending if the job is uh, a bit rough or, or something like that. So <laughs> yeah, everyone has their curious. preferences. I was just curious. All right, we're getting, I'm going to do the 12 questions. I just want to let everybody know, New 4 Inc., New4inc.com, 289-201-7888. And then you can reach safe at S-E-I-F at new4.com. And new4 is spelled N-E-W-F-O-R-E, Inc. Uh, and then all over social media, IG, Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn, YouTube. No Twitter page, yeah? No. No, I'm not doing Twitter, man. You ready for the 12 questions? Yeah, let's go. What's your favorite construction word? Has to be one word or a phrase. Could be a phrase. There's no rules on this show. Make it happen. Make it happen. M I H. M I H. Yeah. <laughs> I have to think about that one for a sec. What is your least favorite construction word? Try. I'll try my best. What does that mean? That means nothing. Has no value whatsoever. D- does that mean I get to schedule someone out? Like, wh- is that a time? Is that? It's not. Sp- I hate anything that's not specific. To be honest. What turns you on in construction? Uh, you know, the fact that it's uh, uh, like a tangible outcome. You get to see it. What turns you off in construction? Maybe cutting corners sometimes it's, uh, for things that are out of your control. What's your favorite curse word? For fuck's sake. What's your favorite vehicle, anything in the world? Truck, car. Anything in the world. It could be anything. You don't have a particular Four. favorite one? I do. Ferrari 488. There we go. It always comes out. What's your least favorite uh, vehicle in anything in the world? The Nissan Cube. <laughs> Why do they make that? Like, who buys that? You know what? I should compile a list of all the least favorites and the favorites, but that vehicle, that has come up quite a bit. The Cube? The Cube. Who buys a Cube? Like, I can understand. I don't know a single person that owns a Cube. I can understand. Like a Toyota Prius, okay, I, I, I still think it's an ugly car, but I look at it, someone driving it, I'm like, you know what? That is a practical, economical person that maybe loves the environment. Who buys a Nissan Cube? Who was the cross-eyed designer of the <laughs> Nissan Cube that put that back window partially on the side of the corner? Like, where's that design thought process there? I just don't, maybe he like know. slipped on the pen. Like it just kind of moved and then it went to production. I don't know. But <laughs> what construction sound or noise do you love? Oh, uh, saws and nailers on site. What construction sound or noise do you hate? Any sound 
that my plumber is making on site. Because when I show up and he's grunting and he's moaning, I don't know what he's oh, you, ripping through. You mean the first, like, like his physical sounds? Yes. Okay, all right. Yes. <laughs> I don't know, because if, I'm, if I show up on site, plumbers are there and this guy's making sounds, I don't know what joists are being cut, where he's running his lines, whatever's in the way is getting destroyed. So I get worried <laughs> if I hear him, you know, a bit being too loud. Safe. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt one day? A lawyer. A lawyer? You get paid to talk. Stress. But you get paid a lot to talk. I don't know about that, man. I'm not a fan of that industry, that profession. What profession would you not like to do? Accountant. Kind of like a lawyer. No, not really. A lawyer, there's... They get paid to write or they get paid to add up. Maybe it looks the same, yeah. but a lawyer is doing the same thing, but with other people usually. So there's more of an art to it. Accountants is just on paper. You could be a, on uh, your own in this room for. There's some creative arts see. going on with accounting sometimes, you know. Maybe I don't know what's needed <laughs> for both jobs. <laughs> Last question: If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at those pearly gates? Thank you for cleaning up so many crack houses in Hamilton. Please come in. There's a lot, huh? Yes, there's a lot. I do want to do another shout out to Dan, uh, Dan Hall. Is it Dan? Not Dan Hall. Sorry, man. Waldo. I'm sorry, Dan. I don't even know your last name. It's barely bad enough that I don't know most people's first names. But Dan actually made a suggestion that I should come up with a new set of 12 questions. And that's actually going to be happening soon. So, Dan, they've been written. They're being edited. And they will be shared on future shows. So look forward to that. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Thanks so, so much. much. Is there anything else you want to share? I think we covered quite a bit, man. Yeah, I think we... Uh we covered everything. Yeah, thanks so much for reaching out and coming on the show. I like what you guys are doing. I love that you guys are fixing up a bunch of stuff in Hamilton. I don't like that Hamilton is becoming so expensive now. Yeah. You got to wonder where we're going to go next. Are we going further west? Or I don't north? know. Everything is getting too damn expensive. Nothing makes sense. It's just crazy. I do like those homes in Hamilton. I like the character of the homes. Yeah. I like the, sty the style of it. I, I like... I like everything about it, right? I just don't like it when they're chopped up to bits to just throw students in there and just then they beat the hell out of it. I don't like any of that stuff. But you guys are sounding like you guys are adding a lot of character, keeping a lot of character to it. You're just updating everything and then fixing everything so they last, right? We keep the quality no matter what. So yeah. we don't do those where it's just, you know, quick flip, you know, no. slap some paint on. No. I don't know. One, no one's proud of those jobs. That's it, everybody. Again, New Four Inc. And you reach him on his website at www.new4inc.com. His email is at uh, seif at new4.com. His phone number 289-201-7888. And then all over social media under New Four Inc. Thanks, man. Amazing. Thank you for having me. That's it. Angelina, we're out of here.